you can ferment their feed. It will make the nutrients in the feed more bioavailable to your chickens, meaning they can digest it better mm -hmm. and they can use the nutrients in within their bodies better. But it also will increase the volume of the feed. And you're making the feed more nutrient dense as you're expanding it through the process of fermentation. It is likely that they may even eat less of the feed and get more nutrients from it. My name is Lisa, mother of eight and creator of the blog and YouTube channel, Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. If you hear a bit of a white noise in the background, I put Victor to sleep before this episode, about an hour before, assumed he would wake up within 30 minutes or 10 minutes like he usually does when I set him down. And then he stayed asleep in the swing the entire time. Since that never happens, I couldn't possibly get him out. So you will hear a little bit of a little bit of a hum during this interview, probably only though when I'm talking, not the guest, because we'll silence that. So don't get too worried. But if you're a mother and you have a baby, you know that you can't wake up a baby. It's just not like you might say you can like, oh, I'll wake them up when the podcast starts. But especially if you have a child who doesn't sleep on their own down, which none of mine really have been good about that, including Victor, you just can't do it. So couldn't do it. I am going to be chatting today with Dahlia from Chickenlandia. We're going to chat chickens, of course. It's that time of year where you might be thinking about either adding to your flock, um, starting from scratch. She has tips on budget-friendly feeds, on making your own feeds, fermenting them, chicken health. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about where uh, to, to house them. I forget what all we went into, but all things chickens, okay? If you are wanting to get into chickens or just brush up on your knowledge, this will be a really good interview for you. Now, one thing I wanted to mention this year, we're going to switch things up just a bit and I want to do some solo episodes. I'm thinking about once a month, I'll get on here and answer some of your most frequently asked questions. This will be a really good format to do that. So, I have created a Google form. You can go to, I'm going to double check that I even have this right, bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash all caps S-F-L. That stands for Simple Farmhouse Life Questions. Okay, so the questions is lowercase, but the S-F-L is capital. Should have made that a little bit easier. I was trying to make it easy by making this little short link, but B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash S-F-L in caps questions in lowercase. Okay. If you go there, you can just submit your question and I will, on my end, see the questions. We're going to collect those together from that form, from Instagram, from YouTube, so that I can get what you guys want to hear about, get on here once a month and make those episodes. I really wanted to do more solo episodes, but I find it sort of tricky whenever, you know, just without some kind of prompt, I share a lot of my thoughts over in my YouTube videos on my main channel, Farmhouse on Boone. And I don't know what my excuse is. I feel like I haven't had the mental space, but I'm, I want to do that more this year because that was the original intention of this podcast. Also feel free if you go to that question box to also submit if you have any episode recommendations or guest recommendations. So we'll still be having on a lot of guests. I love finding people from a lot of different communities, but you know, homesteading, simple living, homemaking, whether it's on Instagram, YouTube, blogging. I like to find these people, bring them together here on this podcast. I think that's been a great addition to it, that plus some solo episodes. So any feedback you have, podcasting is kind of funny because other than leaving a review, there's really not a whole lot of interaction that happens from the audience to the host. And sometimes I feel a little bit disconnected from this to figure out like, am I still doing what people even want to hear? I don't know. So trying to be a little bit more interactive by creating this question box for you and guest recommendations. All right, let's dive in to the topic for today. That is chickens with Dahlia from Chickenlandia. 
Dahlia, thank you so much for joining me. Is that how you pronounce your name? We'll make sure we start there. Yeah, that's great. That's very good. Okay, actually. cool. Should have just said it with confidence. Well, <laughs> yes. thank you for joining me. It's it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on. I do think it's the time of year where people are starting to think about chickens. I know that you know for in the past when we've gotten chicks, it's usually around February through April, somewhere in there. So this is a really good time to talk about this for those who are experienced chicken keepers, those who need to brush up on their knowledge, or those who maybe want to just start from scratch. So tell us a bit about you and how you got started with chicken keeping and what made you so passionate about it. Oh, gosh. uh, Well, I'd say it's divine intervention because... I don't know. I don't know why I got so passionate about it, but I'm really glad I did. You know, I, we had just moved, my husband and I had moved here from Los Angeles. We were both working in the entertainment industry. My husband still works in the entertainment industry, but I kind of gave up what I was doing to, you know, once we got married and we wanted to have kids, I was like, you know, I don't want to do this in LA. So we moved up here to Bellingham, Washington, and I had my first son, my beautiful little boy, and he was about 18 months old. And I really started to feel like, you know what, I need my own identity. And at the time I was having some pretty, you know, it was some pretty intense postpartum depression I was just really feeling a loss of the dreams that I had and just needed something else. So I was like, I'm going to get some chickens, you know? <laughs> and, so, and so I did. And I cannot explain why it happened. But the minute I had my baby chicks and, you know, I just had them in a, they were like in a little bag. I got them from the farm store in a literally like a brown paper sack. <laughs> And I was taking them out and putting them in the brooder and my heart just opened and I, a new dream came in and I became so passionate about them that I was just talking about them all the time. And, you know, I live in a pretty small community and I was posting about them on Facebook and everything. And I had them about six months And the local community college contacted me and they were like, can you teach a class on chicken keeping? (laughs) And I was in my head like, okay, I've had them six months, you know, Uh, but I didn't say that. I just said yes. And ever since then, I, I will describe it as like a boulder rolling down a hill. Like you're not, you just can't stop it. I just kept, kept talking about chickens. Eventually I started doing seminars then the YouTube channel, then podcast, um, then doing, you know, I wrote a book. And so I started doing seminars across the country and it's just been wonderful. I, d- I never expected, I never thought, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be the president of Chickenlandia I'm gonna, when I grow yeah, up. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be a backyard chicken educator, but here I am. Yeah. Well, you know, chickens, they say are the gateway animal into all things homesteading, probably because they're very accessible. You can put them almost anywhere for anybody. They make the perfect food. Eggs are arguably one of the best foods with the protein content. And most people can tolerate them Unlike dairy and gluten. It's something that pretty much everybody can tolerate. So yeah, it seems like the perfect thing to get into. And then also you mentioned a little bit about interacting with the chickens with your son. How have you found having chickens to help educate your kids and what can they learn by interacting with chickens throughout their lives? Or what are some unexpected things that happened with, with that? Well, I think of course, you know, the first thing that people think of is that it teaches you responsibility. Like you, you have to keep the chickens alive. You, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter how the weather is outside. You got to go outside and you got to feed them and you, and you have to take care of them. You have to give them water, even if everything's frozen outside. So certainly there are those aspects to it. Um, And then just as far as like some unexpected things, I certainly didn't expect this, is that I think it really helps to teach children about compassion. You know, when little kids, especially little tiny kids, 
they, they love baby chicks or holding a baby chick. They have to learn how to be gentle. They have to remember that the baby chick is little and they're big. And, you know, also they learn that these, these chickens, and I'm not saying I'm not, a, I'm not a vegetarian and I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat chicken or anything like that, but you, you begin to see like, okay, these are, these are animals that, you know, they have feelings and, it's important to treat them with respect and treat them with dignity. And so there's that part of it. And then I, for me, I think one of the most important lessons that both children and adults can learn from keeping chickens is that it will teach you how to trust your intuition. And I say that uh, this is very important because when you get into chicken keeping, there's so much information out there and there's so many different philosophies and there's some really strong opinions out there. And let's say you have a situation in your flock and you don't know how to handle it and you go online and you're doing research or maybe you'll go into like a chicken group and ask, you're going to get a lot of information and a lot of it's going to be conflicting and you won't know what to do. So in those cases, what I tell people is that it's so important to just really to listen to your heart and trust your intuition and to remember that human beings have been keeping chickens for literally thousands of years <laughs> and it, it's a natural thing. And yes, you're going to make mistakes, but you can do it. And I just think that's such a valuable lesson to learn as a child because you will take that into adulthood to, to just really listen to yourself and follow your gut. Um, and sometimes you might be wrong, but that's okay. You know, that's, that's how we learn. Yeah. So those are the the things I think were unexpected for me. Yeah. Yep. I think my kids have now at this point, the the younger kids have grown up always around chickens their whole lives. In fact, I don't really remember when we first got chickens, but I'm going to say it was at least a decade ago. So most of them probably don't remember life without chickens running around. Now, my question to you, because I have never been the type to, I should have learned more at this point. We kind of just take it year by year and go, you know, just kind of keep the chickens alive, feed them, all that good stuff. We don't really have much of a predator issue because we have a dog that keeps predators away. So we don't really worry about that. We've never really okay. had any major issues, but what about something like like right now, we're not getting any eggs. We haven't since November. And that's always the case every winter. And I know you can put a light up in your coop, but maybe there's drawbacks to that. So we haven't done that. I want to hear your take on that because it's not fun not getting eggs for what, four months, something like that. that I know. They pretty much don't lay for like four months around here. Yeah. That's when a lot of people are like, why do I have these? Why do I have these animals? <laughs> yeah. Not doing anything. Although they're it's very feast or famine. They're always <laughs> going to give you entertainment. So yes. All right. So in the late summer, early fall, sometimes into the fall, sometimes going into the winter, chickens will, will go into a molt. And that is normal. They need to do it. They need to drop their old scraggly feathers and grow new feathers out for the winter. During this time, usually they will not be laying. Um, so there's that. And then it seems like right when they get out of the molt, mm -hmm. all of a sudden the days are shorter. And it doesn't have to do, it doesn't have to do with the cold. Right. It has to do with the amount right. of light, light. Yeah, the amount of hours of light they have within a 24-hour period so that they complete, they can complete that egg laying cycle. So in the winter, they will, they will stop. They will take a break from laying. You can supplement light. I, re I recommend supplementing light in the morning rather than in the evening because that process of going to roost is an important instinct for them to practice. There are a lot of things happening during that time. They are figuring out the pecking order. And if you watch them, they're really like, there's a, there's this whole process that they take going to roost. And then there's the, you know, the fact that if they are in the coop and all of, all of a sudden the light turns off, they will be confused. So we, we don't want that. We'd rather have them have a natural roost if possible and then have the light come on early Earlier. in the morning. Okay. So mm -hmm. it's fine. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people depend on that perfect protein for their family. They may have a business. 
So I'm never going to tell people, oh, it's bad. You know, some educators will say it's bad. You know, you need to give them a break. And I love my chickens. And of course, I love my chickens. But I understand that not everybody has my situation. A lot of people, they need to have that protein in the winter. Um, And it's very important. So Mm -hmm. if you need to supplement light, don't worry about it. Just do it. But the, the drawback to that is that you are pushing them to lay during a time when it is not natural for them. So it is possible that you are taking some time out of their, their lifespan. Okay. Uh, you know, chickens have, okay. They have an egg laying life and they have a, a, a lifespan. Okay. They have have like an egg laying lifespan and then their actual lifespan and they will not lay eggs. If you allow them to live for the rest, you know, until they get old, they will not lay eggs, certainly not on a consistent basis for the entirety of their life. Okay. So that, that uh, their egg laying life may be a little bit shorter and their actual life might be a little bit shorter, but that doesn't mean that you know, it's terrible if you have to do that. Just give them some enrichment, you know, make sure they're not getting stressed out and do what you need to do. Okay. And then, yeah. and then the other thing is you can freeze eggs. You know, you can, you can take the eggs in the spring when you're like, you've got all these, all these eggs and you don't even know what to do with them. Take them, you know, scramble them up, put them in a, an ice cube tray And then put that in the freezer. And then, you know, once they're frozen, you can take them out and put them in Ziploc bags or just, you know, however you store things in the freezer. And then you can use those eggs when you don't have any. And they taste great. They taste great. Yeah. Um, Obviously they're frozen. So I put them like frozen right into the, right into the pan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And make scrambled eggs. But you, you know, you might want to thaw them out, especially if you're using them for baking. Yeah. And, and yes, if you're a first time chicken keeper and it's, you know, whenever it's about March-ish, I'd say that's when they really start picking back up and you're feeling really good about it. Just know you should put some up because it'll just be, it'll just dry up like completely. So we go from having, we have a lot of chickens. We'll go from having a couple dozen a day to zero all, you know, pretty much for, I'd say from November through East Jan, Feb, like probably February, right? That they really start picking back up whenever the light starts increasing. So just know that if you're going into this, that that's not an anomaly. It's just what will happen. And so you'll, uh, now have you found any other ways other than adding light or is that pretty much the critical thing to do or they will stop all through the winter months? There, there's all kinds of advice out there. A lot of people talk about, oh, you can feed your chickens something and they will lay. It really has to do with light. It's just a process that needs a certain amount of hours of light. Yeah. I, I've heard that too. And it's just, it's never, we still feed ours and it's never, <laughs> we do not get eggs all winter, <laughs> just how it's always been. So I assume it must be the light. Now, Luke did start putting a light on a timer in the coop just mm-hmm. recently because we're like, oh, we're kind of wanting some fresh eggs in the morning, but I ha- it hasn't made a huge improvement just yet. So maybe he needs to extend it a little bit farther, like a little bit further forward. But by February, yeah. we're going to have eggs just again, like crazy. So yeah, usually, you know, even just after the solstice, you'll start to see more eggs. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's already starting to improve. Let's talk about natural skincare. As a lot of us are trying to clean out our houses, our diets, skincare is something that is also really important because our skin is our body's largest organ and what goes on the skin does actually make its way in and affect our health. So it's important to choose quality, but one problem I've had over the years with natural skincare companies or DIYs, I've tried making my own lip balms, face serums, cleansers, They're great, but they don't have the same effectiveness as the drugstore or the department store brands that are full of chemicals and things I don't want in my body. Tubes & Co. is an organic skincare company. It's a small company that uses all natural ingredients. So for example, I have this tallow balm sitting here on my desk or my dresser, which is my desk for the day that is made from grass-fed tallow, virgin olive oil, essential oils, and that's it. It's 
super luxurious on my skin. I love it during these colder months because my skin tends to dry out and look really lifeless, but this product really nourishes it and brings it back to life. I also love Tubes & Co makeup. I currently have on the Tubes & Co eyebrow pencil, which is my favorite thing. The primer, the foundation, the mascara for a really simple, low makeup, but yet not just my bare splotchy face look. I love Tubes & Co makeup. It doesn't feel like I'm buying a healthy brand. It feels like really nice makeup that also happens to have extremely clean ingredients. You can check out Tubes & Co and use the code farmhouse for 10% off over at toopsandco.com. That's T-O-U-P-S and co.com. Again, don't forget to use the code farmhouse for 10% off your order. Okay, so I'm looking at your most popular videos over on YouTube on your Welcome to Chickenlandia, and it seems like feeding your chickens cheap is one of your most popular topics. And then, I mean, that's like one of the most, but then also little problems like keeping a sick chick alive or chicken health. So let's first talk a little bit about that. Feeding your chickens cheap is your most popular topic, correct? I guess so. You know what? Like I thought it was a different video. So I'm just learning this right now. <laughs> like, oh, I guess that video is going well. <laughs> People want to know. Yeah. Well, not only that one, there's, there's several that are like how to grow sprouts for your chickens, how to cut your feed bill in half, several like growing mealworms. These are all in your top, like cheap, cheap cheap free foods. So yeah, in your top like 20 are a lot of topics having to do with feeding chickens cheap. So that must be a common need. I'm going to assume that people in my audience here also want to know that if the large majority of YouTube wants to know it. So what are some of your tips on that? Well, what I will say always is to think about traditionally how chickens have been fed. You know, it it chicken keeping has always been a sustainable practice. Very recently, it has gone from being very sustainable to something that actually uses resources to something that actually requires uh, money, you know, more, more money yeah. than it, than expected. But that is a, an issue in the Western world. If you go, if you went on a, uh, a chicken journey <laughs> across the world, you would see that the poorest people on earth have chickens. Mm -hmm. Now, it is worth it to think about the kind of breeds that they have. It's worth it to think about how chickens have changed, certainly where we live. The type of chickens that we have are different. Chickens did not lay every day, you know, coming out of the out of the jungle. Like red jungle fowl did not lay <laughs> Uh, you know, however many 250 eggs a year or something like that. They just didn't like they, they laid a lot less, right. but we bred them and bred them and bred them to lay a lot. And because of that, chickens have, you know, laying hens have very high nutritional needs. Right. Um, and that's just the, the fact of the matter. Now, having said that, I will say that when you think about the health of your flock, I, I don't own, I don't only think about my flock. I think about my family, I think about my community, and I think about the planet. And when I'm considering all of that, I will say that if you, if all you can do is feed your chickens scraps from your kitchen and let them free range and let them get some, some pasture, then I say, go for it. Now, of course, these high, you know, these, these laying hens with super high nutritional needs they will probably live longer if they have as their base, you know, as the majority of their diet, a, a layer feed, you know, a feed that's appropriate for, mm -hmm. for their stage of life. Yeah. But I won't say that it's an absolute, like if you don't do it this way, you're doing it wrong because there's the Chickenlandia way, but it's not the only way. And what I want to see is more people having chickens. I want to see people of of all income levels being able to have chickens because I think that's very important. You know, we just talked about how valuable the egg is and how it's, this is perfect protein and everybody deserves to have that. So that's what right. I want to see. Now, if you are feeding a layer feed, 
um, or, you know, feeding a, a, a feed that is appropriate for the type of chickens you have and their stage of life, you can always supplement that with other things. So you have the base as their layer feed. Now, it, when in my teachings, you know, in my course and in my book, I have something called the Chickenlandia Chicken Food Pyramid. And it looks a lot like that horrible food pyramid that the FDA came <laughs> <out> <laughs> But it is so much better, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> so at the bottom, I have layer feed as the as the basis. You know that that's that's their foundation is their layer feed. The second tier would be like you know healthy scraps, mostly greens. So you're you're gonna want to do mostly you know green vegetables, low sugar fruits. Those are the kind of scraps that you want to focus on and give them the most of. And then at the very top of the tier, I have treats. Okay. And this is where like, if you're doing mealworms, grubs, any kind, you know, cracked corn, anything like that would go at the top of the tier. And my goal in creating this pyramid is that I don't want people to go out in their chicken yard and be like, oh, I need to measure the amount of mealworms I'm giving to each chicken or else they're going to get sick or they're, I'm going to, you know, I need to, you know, people will make things very complicated. And traditionally, like if you, if you think about how your great grandmother kept chickens, she wasn't going out there measuring stuff. It was something no. that was intuitive <laughs> to her. So just have the, the, the pyramid as like your, your, your foundation and then do what feels intuitively right for you. And I think in doing that, you're just naturally going to have balance. Like as human beings, we don't say, okay, I'm going to eat. I mean, sometimes some people do if they're, re <laughs> if they're really being strict, Yeah, but we're not measuring out our food. We're yeah. just trying to get to that state of balance. And that's where I want you to be. I want it to feel natural. I want you to feel good about it. And I, and of course, you know, I want you to save money. Yeah. So with the layer feed, have you found more inexpensive ways to do that? Because we have done, like we've gone through phases where we're like, we're going to free range them, let them go eat the bugs, like in the middle of summer, you know, eat the bugs, eat all the scraps. And if you, in my experience, take out the layer feed, they stop laying, even though they have access to, you know, acres worth of bugs and all of that. So what are some solutions for like, if you're trying to decrease the feed bill to getting that protein level that will still allow them to have a long, healthy life and lay eggs, because have you experienced that where people will tell you, you can just let them free range and then you do that and they stop laying. I haven't experienced that. Now I keep my chickens in a, in an enclosed run. Okay. It's, it's big. It's huge. Not everybody has that, but that, that is what I do just for predation. And also, you know, it's like, I have a YouTube channel and people are invested. Of course, I'm certainly invested in my chickens. Um, and they are both a means of getting fresh protein and they're also my pets. Yeah. <laughs> but I always will say it doesn't matter. Like if you, if you have them as like farm animal, you know, strictly livestock, that's okay too. You know, everyone's welcome in Chickenlandia. That's why it's called welcome to Chickenlandia. But for me, it's really hard for me. Like I know, oh my gosh, I don't want to lose my chickens to predation. Okay. Right. There are yeah. others that are like, I'm going to free range and I understand that in doing so, I may lose some, but the value of their life is more important to me than like the longevity of their life. Mm -hmm. So, and that is also valid. So I haven't had the experience of egg production going down from, from free ranging because I just haven't done it. Okay, like they gotcha. just haven't been out on pasture. One thing I will tell people is if you have your chickens out on pasture and you're like, what is going on? I'm not getting any eggs. They may be laying it, but you, oh, yeah. you know, it's an Easter egg that hunt too. out there. Like, <laughs> yes. That too. That too. We've experienced that. It's like, oh, I just found 27 eggs in oh, an yeah. old tire. That happens. That happens too. That is one of the major drawbacks of free ranging <laughs> is not being able to find the eggs is a huge drawback. But then we've had times where 
we are certain that they just weren't laying because we eventually always find them, even if it's late, um, we find them, like even if it's several yeah. weeks or months later, but we'll, we'll go through. If, if I try to just free range them without also offering that base laying feed, we just won't ever find any eggs. So I think that yeah. some people are looking for cheaper ways to feed. And I know a lot of people, I've even heard of people going to like a grocery store or restaurant and getting their scraps. Are there any like unconventional ways that you've seen people feed chickens that have kept them alive and producing that are, you know, unconventional, but inexpensive? Well, I think one way to entice them to eat a a base of layer feed and also uh, save a little bit of money is that you can ferment their feed. Oh yes. Okay. Not every layer feed is, is, is the same. Um, there are some feeds that are not going to ferment well. There's some ingredients in some layer feeds that will actually uh, turn the feed alcoholic if you ferment it. <laughs> so I suggest to people, and I do have a video about this on my channel. As one of, and of course, I talk about it in my course and I talk about it in my book. But I suggest that people start out very small when they are learning how to ferment so that they can not only learn the process, but also figure out what works, you know, is the, is the feed that they're working going to ferment well, you know, just things like that. It's just, you you can find out the consistency that you want and that your hens prefer. Um, but it's a great way to not only increase the nutritional value of the feed because it will, and it will make the nutrients in the feed more bioavailable to your chickens, meaning they can digest it better mm-hmm. and they can use the nutrients in within their bodies better. Um, but it also will increase the volume of the feed. And a lot of times what people will say is, well, you know, you're just adding water to the feed and that's expanding it. And you're not actually increase, you know, th- then they're going to get less calories, but that's actually not what's happening. You're making the feed more nutrient dense as you're expanding it through the process of fermentation. So it is likely that they may even eat less of the feed and get more nutrients from it. Yeah. So I, I think that's a, a great, a great way to get some, something really nutrient dense that is going to help with laying. The other thing is you can sprout grains and seeds. And that's another way, like if you take a tablespoon of seeds and you sprout them, that is going, obviously it's growing sprouts. Like the, the, the volume of that is going to increase. And that's a really nutrient dense treat to give to your chickens. And and it's not even like, I would put that in the second tier of the Chickenlandia chicken food pyramid. Um, I wouldn't put that on the top tier because it's just so good for them. So that's another thing that you can do. Uh, grains, legumes, seeds, are so good for chickens when they're, when they're sprouted. So, yeah, I think that's a way. And you know, that, that way that you are saving a little bit of money, but you're not, you know, when you ferment, you don't free feed. Like if, if that is their main source of food, um, you're not free feeding them. So you, I give my chickens their fermented feed in the morning they gobble the, all that up. And so it's, it should be gone. You want it to be gone by, you know, afternoon time. And then they eat that. That's their, that's the foundation of their diet. They're enticed to eat it because it's fermented and they think that's yummy. And then in the evening you can let them free range. You can, you know, or they're, they're out there, you know, free ranging. You might give them a little treat. You might give them some scraps just ma- I always say, just make sure everything's cleaned up because little rodents really like those scraps too, <laughs> especially oh, when right, it's cold right. outside. They're like, oh, not only is there a buffet, but it's warm and I'm going to stay here. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So do you have a recommendation in your, you have your top video on YouTube is cut your chicken feed bill in half and it shows 
basically, I think it shows you fermenting it. That's what the thumbnail looks like. And you have a mixture of grains there. It's obviously not a layer pellet because that wouldn't ferment so well, I don't think. So do you have a recommendation for mixing your own feeds or are you buying like a scratch and peck blend or what are you recommending for the base before fermenting? So you can ferment pellets. Oh, you absolutely can. I don't know why I didn't think that would work, but Okay. There's a lot of variation with the pellet, so you definitely need to figure out if the if that specific pellet that you have or pellet or crumble is going to ferment well because sometimes they don't. Like if okay. they smell alcoholic, if it they smell rancid, you can tell, you know, it's like okay, this isn't this isn't great. So I would say just practice um, and find find a feed that works for your budget and also you can ferment. Generally, the raw feeds ferment better. Yeah. So the one that I prefer that I've been using forever um, is scratch and pick feeds. Their raw feed ferments very well. Um, it's pretty pretty foolproof. Okay. So I, that that would be my recommendation. Is you know if you if you want if you want it to be easy and you're able to spend a little bit more money, you would want to get a raw feed because that's that's going to be your best bet when it comes to fermenting. Yeah, and with our dairy cow, we buy um, like a several fifty pound bags of grain and we mix up her dairy ration. And I I think you'd have to have a lot of chickens for that to make sense. But I'm wondering if in some ways it'd be cheaper to buy different grains, mix it yourself, and then ferment it in small batches. Have you tried that or seen anybody try that or work the numbers on it in any way? Oh, yeah. I, have, I haven't I have worked the numbers on it. I'm working on, uh, you know, a lot of people have asked me for a recipe for feed. Yeah. Generally, what I've seen is that it actually ends up costing more money. So I'm working on, I, right now I'm just doing research, trying to find a way to do it that is actually okay. not going to cost you know end up costing you more money in the end but it's certainly possible but yeah, the thing to remember sense. is if you go online and you're you're looking for a a recipe for feed if it has yeast in it mm-hmm. it's going to it, that you don't ferment that okay um because or you know it's 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 going to turn alcoholic now could i add my sourdough starter to it that would work, right? Like I've never tried that or thought about it. But what if you added a little sourdough starter to the water? No, <laughs> same same effect as the yeast. I've had people ask that. I, it's not necessary. Yeah, I just never thought about it. Yeah, it's not it's not necessary. But yeah, I think you could do that. I don't see why not. Yeah, yeah. Try it and find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I should. I should. It's probably a Google question that I need to get on my blog. I want to take a quick break to tell you about my blogging masterclass. So seven, almost eight years ago, I bought the domain farmhouseonboon.com and started posting on a blog. Since then, I have learned so much. The first several years was just me figuring it out, figuring out what to post, lots of light bulb moments. Spoiler alert, it's no longer a journal where you share what your family's doing and what you're working on. Blogging is a whole different strategy. A lot of people think that blogging is dead, but it is far from dead. It's actually the most profitable part of our business is blogging. So it is by no means dead, but it does require a whole different strategy. And I see a lot of people making a lot of mistakes, even some seasoned bloggers who aren't aware of like how blogging has changed. That is why I have my free masterclass where I show you my four-step framework that I use for becoming a full-time blogger. So for over five years now, my husband's been home. We've made blogging a full-time income. And you can find that masterclass over at bit.ly forward slash farmhouse blogging school, all one word, all lowercase, bit.ly forward slash farmhouse blogging school. Okay. So what about breeds? What are your favorite breeds? Some people are asking about dual purpose breeds, best egg laying breeds. I'm sure you have a lot of opinions on that one. I, I tell my chickens, I love all of you equally. (laughs) So the best dual purpose, I would say probably just your standard, like Buff Orpingtons, um, Bard Rocks. Those are good dual purpose breeds that are gonna, you know, that are great layers. For starters, there's so many great breeds that you can start with. Generally, if you go to the farm store, 
in your area, you're going to find, you know, and, and you, you see the layer breeds there, they're going to be good layers and they will likely be good for your area. Now, of course, do your research, find out what is best for your climate. And it's real, that's really important, especially if you're in, in an extreme climate, like it's either really, really cold, it gets really cold where you live, or it gets really hot where you live. That's when you, you really need to pay attention to the type of chickens that you get. Okay. Generally what I say for people, really good starting layer breeds, Bard Rocks, Buff Orpingtons, uh, Black Australorps. Those are all really good layers. And then a little bit of fun, of course, get an Easter Egger, you know, and then you'll have, a, you know, hopefully they'll lay like a green or a blue egg. Sometimes they lay a brown egg. Um, yeah. <laughs> or, but usually they will lay like a green or blue or um, sometimes olive eggs if it's an olive egg or, or a pink egg. So that that's fun. And I think you should always have a little bit of, of fun in your flock. And those are all really hardy, great layers and fun breeds. And if you handle them from chicks, they can be tame as well. What are some of your favorite online sources? Or are you mostly just going to the local feed stores um, for ordering chicks? <sighs> I think if you can, the closer you can get, like it, 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 the more local you can get, the better for you, uh, for, for anyone that's out there that th that's thinking about ordering chicks because it is a, quite a journey that little chicks go on. So if you are in Southern California and the hatchery that you're ordering from is in new England, that is a long trip for baby chicks to go on. Okay. So if you can get something that is more local to you, that's better. Mm-hmm. The main thing that I will tell people is, you know, most hatcheries or the bigger hatcheries, they are going to sex the chicks, which means that they will separate them by pullet, which is a pullet is a, a female chicken that has not come into lay yet or cockerel, which obviously is a young rooster. Okay. So you, especially if you're starting out and certainly if you're most cities, they don't allow roosters. Um, you need to be mindful of that. And then certainly have a plan because no way, unless they're feather sexing, which you can only do with a few breeds, there's no, there's no like foolproof way to uh, ensure that you're not going to get a rooster. So you, you should have a, a plan for a rooster, even if, if you're ordering pullets. I really like my pet chicken and I really like uh, Murray McMurray. I think they're still Murray McMurray or maybe they're just Murray. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> if you, either one you'll find, you know, if you go online and search, you know, they seem to be a really high quality, but there's, there's many high quality hatcheries in the U S I just think going as local as possible is great. And if you can go with a local breeder, that's even better. Although you will likely not get sexed chicks. So you have to have a, have a, a plan for that. Right. Yeah. You'll get a lot yeah. of roosters. <laughs> Last year, the biggest issue was actually just finding somebody who had them in stock. I started searching for them around February and apparently that was too late. So I think just keep in mind that if, if this year is like last, I don't really know what the deal was with last year because that wasn't a problem for me in years before that, but it, it could be difficult for you just mm -hmm. to even find one that will have chicks for you. So not necessarily worrying about like which one you want to get it from so much as just who has them was the, the, uh, only criteria for me last year. Now, are you good with flock management? Cause I am not, I don't have any good method of knowing which ones I bought. You know, we've been getting new chicks for, we've lived at this house for five years now. And so some of them are probably hardly laying. Some of them are just from last year and we're not very good at keeping track of that. So we always just get new ones, add them and hope for enough eggs. Do you have a better system than us? I will tell you, um, recently on my podcast, I interviewed the creator of this app called Flockstar. <laughs> and it, I just like, he just Ooh. random message, randomly messaged me. And I was like, I've not heard of this. And, and I looked it up 
And it's super fun. Even if you just have like a little flock, it's, it's super, it's a fun app to get into, but even for like the, the people that have more chickens and they're trying to keep up with production and stuff like that, I really found that to be a great, uh, resource for flock management. So I thought I would just give, give him a little plug because I don't think a lot of people know about it and I'd love to see him get some more, you know, some more people downloading his app. It's called Flockstar and it's fun. Yeah. I, that seems like such a simple thing. Cause you probably just like take pictures, take inventory and keep them in there. I mean, it shouldn't be that hard, but it's just, you know, it's just yeah. doing it and having some kind of resource to do it or some way to do it. Yeah. I think, you know, it's just a matter of like being consistent with it. And if it's an app, it seems to be more, you know, they, it makes it more fun. And so maybe you'd be more likely to you know, be better about keeping up with it. Yeah. So are you adding new chicks every year for us? Like it's a about a every other year thing. We'll get a whole bunch of them and that carries us through about two years and then we'll take off a year. So like this year, I'm not planning to get any new chicks. How does that work on your farm? For the most part, a lot of the people that follow me and certainly, you know, the way that I teach, I think the way you're doing it is great. Like you, you, you know, replenish with a, a new batch uh, wait a couple years, replenish again, that's going to keep you in eggs, you know? So I think that's a great, I think that's a great plan. And then always what I tell people is when, you know, remember that hens do not lay eggs. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but hens do not lay consistently for the entirety of their life. And after the first two years, you're going to see a pretty, a pretty significant drop in the older hens. They'll still lay, but it will be less. Um, and then consecutively every year after that, mm -hmm. they're going to lay less and less until they're not laying at all. So, uh, or they're laying, you know, one egg a month or something like that. Right. So yeah. before you even get started, it's important to ask yourself, okay, what, what's my plan for aging hens? You know, am yeah. I the type of person that could, you know, make soup out of them? Will I keep them through their retirement and just have them make some really good compost for me? Do I have a wonderful vegan friend that is going to take all of my chickens and, and have them live out their retirement? That Those are all questions that you need to figure out before you jump in because it's hard once you get, once you get attached and you know, if financially you can't care for them, care for chickens that aren't laying as much then you have a dilemma. And so I tell people, figure that out before you get started. Yeah. Yeah. I guess just know that that is a thing. And if you're not super organized, even if you wanted to like figure out which ones were laying and which ones weren't, it's very difficult if you didn't take inventory in the first place. Unless like one thing I thought of was five years ago, we should have bought 12 of one breed. Four years ago, we should have bought 12 of another. Three years ago, we should have bought 12 yeah. of another and we'd have this mixed, you know, out there, but yet I would know which came from which, which would be like one long-term way to do that. But we have the, the space to just let them live out their happy little lives. You mentioned compost and you have a popular video on your channel that you talk about not cleaning your coop. And I'm assuming you are talking about compost. Let's touch on that just a bit and what how you can set your coop up to actually like fuel your garden. Well, what I'm talking about in that video is the deep litter method. So this is actually a method of really, oh, okay, having, okay. really having a compost system within your coop. And for some people, they just don't, they don't like it. They, they don't want to do it. That is fine. But for others, it works really well. And basically what you're doing is let's say you start out with a fresh, a freshly cleaned coop. There's no, uh, substrate on the bottom of it. You just have this freshly clean coop and you're going to add, you know, two or three inches of whatever bedding that you're using. So that would be uh, shavings, let's say pine shavings, aspen shavings, maybe hemp shavings or straw. Okay. Uh, chopped straw. Um, you cannot do this with sand. <laughs> yeah, you 100% can't do it with sand. So then when you, so you have that, that those, that substrate laid down, and then the chickens, of course, are going to soil that. And instead of going in there and cleaning all of that bedding out, what you're going to do is actually add 
just add another layer of bedding, like an inch of bedding on top of it. Okay. And what, in my experience, it is very important to make sure that either you are turning it or your chickens are turning it. Because if you have a compost pile, you, you need to, it needs to be turned. Okay. Right. Right. And I, what I've realized is that there are some chickens that are very good at turning, turning the litter in their coop. And there are other chickens that do not do it. And my chickens do not do it. They are lazy. They do not turn their coop. (laughs) So I have to make sure to go in there and turn it and make sure, you know, it's well turned and that is, uh, you know, makes the process go better for me because you don't want ammonia buildup. Okay. That right. that's not, that's not good. You don't want that. Um, but one, uh, plus to doing the deep litter method is that if you have that composting material within your coop and you've got that cold winter that you're dealing with that, you know, composting material creates heat. It generates heat. So it's going to help in raising the temperature within your coop and keep your chickens a little bit more warm and cozy. Okay. And, um, you can clean the compost out once a year, or you can, some people do it twice a year. Okay. But even if you only do it in the winter time, that's, you know, I think that would be a good idea because you're generating that extra heat. So that, that, you know, that's great that, that you're making a, a gold for your, <laughs> for your garden. Cause it's gonna, it's gonna be great. You know, once it's done cooking, it's going to be great, uh, fertilizer for your garden. Such good advice. And I think so many people are going to find all of that very, very helpful. So Dahlia, tell us where people can follow up with you, where they can learn more. If they are wanting to start with chickens or maybe expand their knowledge, I'm sure you have something for people all along the chicken knowledge spectrum here, where they can find you. Well, the best place to go would be to my website because you can get access to every all the things that I do from my website. It is welcome to chickenlandia.com. I'm probably most known for my YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube, you can look up Welcome to Chickenlandia. That's the name of my YouTube channel. And of course, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'm even on Twitter sometimes. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah, but if you if you want access, like you can learn about my book, you can learn about the online course that I offer. All of that is on my website. And I do, oh, I should mention, I always forget. I always forget this. Um, I also have a podcast. It's called Bok Talk. So that's on all the major <laughs> podcast apps. I love and that's it. that's B-A-W-K-T-A-W-K. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're wanting to put something in your ear, learn more about chickens while maybe you're doing your other homestead chores or your house chores, uh, that would be a good one to check out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Right. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. If you're wanting to get started with chickens... Dahlia's channel is a great recommendation. Go over to Welcome to Chickenlandia. That's her blog, her YouTube channel, her website, or her Instagram, all three of those things. And she has so much education. But also, if you're a little bit overwhelmed because I make episodes like this, other people do, and there's just, you know, you can do free range, you can do scratch and peck feed, you can ferment it, you can do pellets. You can do a coop and run. You can do an enclosed or a chicken tractor. Just try anything. We've done probably all the things that I just mentioned at some point, and it can be done imperfectly. Um, You'll learn along the way. I recommend it's to just start. It's not an animal that requires a ton of work. That's what's really cool about chickens. I have someone waking up from now not Victor. He actually slept through this entire thing. So I better get to that. But again, thank you so much for listening to this episode and I will see you in the next one of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast.